Welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sego, I'm John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. My guest today is uh, is Dagarundige, uh, otherwise uh, known by many people as Paul Delarun, and uh, we're gonna um, we're gonna have a conversation about what has really become problematic in many native territories. And it's this, this, this loss of understanding the distinction between leadership and servants and servitude. You know, and it's, it's very much one of our concepts to talk about the idea that, that people are placed in the service of others and this idea that you are in public service. We hear white people say it all the time, but, uh, you know, but they run for these positions as if it's, you know, as if, you know, it's going to make them rich, and oftentimes it does. But in our culture, we talk about the, these people who are placed in these positions to serve the community, not to be these unchallengeable, authorized leaders of people. And, and, and of course, this becomes a problem because the outside is always looking for that, that those figureheads. Yeah. And they've done it for you know, throughout our history, they've looked for the person who could put the X on that treaty or sign away land or, or you know, you know they, they've always found it much easier to negotiate with one person that they could corrupt or maybe three people that could corrupt rather than, than all the people. So, um, so we find ourselves in a situation where we look at some of the decisions that tribal councils make, some of these, these chiefs councils, as they call themselves, um, and it becomes increasingly problematic uh, when we realize that they're, they're basing their authority on what the outside government is giving them. You know, right. So whether we're talking about Canada or whether it's the United States, and oftentimes it isn't just that they, that they are being granted authority from these, uh, from these colonial uh, governments, but they're actually doing the bidding of those colonial governments at the same time. And right. You know, we, we see it in the conflict here in Seneca territory associated with, uh, with negotiating their gaming compacts. I mean, the United States passed the law that put the states in bed with Native people in order to do gaming, which, you know, it was something they whipped up out of thin air. You know, they didn't have any authority to stop us from doing gaming. Their courts even acknowledged that. So they created a law that, would, that they could use against us. Uh, you know, and then we end up having these tribal councils that, um, that are being advised by their legal counsel to, uh, to play ball with the state, to be complicit and to, and to pay to play, so to speak. Uh, and in every business that we get involved in, whether it's gaming, whether it's tobacco, whether it's been motor fuel, and, and now, of course, the, the current you know, thing is, uh, is, is cannabis, we're finding the conflict that is, that is coming to bear between these so-called native governments and the native people themselves. And this is probably no more evidence uh, of that than, than what you see in Gunawaga. And if you want to explain a little bit about what, what, you're, see, what you're seeing and what you're hearing out of Gunawaga, that would be, that'd be helpful. Well, <clears throat> there was uh, a family that decided, you know, they wanted to open up a cannabis shop. And... Uh, you know, and it's always the belief is that we have the right to do things. We have a right to a livelihood. And <clears throat> that the laws on the outside applies to their people. You know, it, it, and it goes back to the Turo. 
and that. You know, the white man has his ship, his people, his religion, his cultures, his laws, all these uh, whatever he's got, all belongs in that ship. And uh, but we are not in the ship. We're not. We say we're in a canoe. And, uh, and so we have ways within our canoe, we have our own language, we have our own belief, we have all what is ours. And, you know, today we've been stuck on little parcels of land, and it's almost like our canoe got shrunk. <laughs> and, uh, but the thing is, it's still our canoe. And so these people say, well, we have a right to do this. Well, look, at, there's so many Ungohuma communities that's already doing this. So well, I'm, and, and if you go back historically, look, when we, we talk about the Six Nations, we, yeah. we're, we're talking about the addition of the, of the Tuscarora, yeah. which, which are a people who, um, although they were originally called the Kanatnoaga, the people of the, of the Cypress or the Sunken yeah. Pine, what they were known for was the fact that they had built a bit of an industry out of separating hemp. Not necessarily just marijuana or cannabis shots, but they, but they, they, had a, they were known as, as a people who, who used hemp. So... This is not something that we haven't been, you know, yeah. trading with over the years, and whether it was in hemp products like clothing or ropes or, or, yeah. or cordage or whatever else. So, I mean, I do, I, I have to say some of this stuff because, you know, it's like us entering in the tobacco uh, industry and people not recognizing that tobacco was ours, you know, yeah. that, that we introduced the world to tobacco. And, you know, so when we claim a little piece of that back, just like with this, this cannabis industry, we claim a little piece of this back, um, you know, I think people suggest that we somehow have lost our way in doing so. And, and, and you're right to, to frame it the way that you did. In much of this stuff, we do not have a set of, um, of rules that tell us we can and can't do certain things. We understand that we are free people. Yeah. And that if, there, that if there is an opportunity for us to utilize our lands and our people and our resources to enter into a business that we may even have a some cultural connection to, then it, it's our right to do that, and it's a right that comes from an inherent right, not one that comes from a native government or not one that comes from the outside government. Yeah, well, see, the thing is that Ongohonwe, um, we've always dealt with uh, uh, what people are calling uh, cannabis or um, marijuana or whatever. You know, uh, I mean, there's so many names, quite frankly, I mean, I'm not really involved in those things, and so, like, a lot of this English terminology means nothing to me. Yeah, so, separating the whole thing between cannabis yeah, and marijuana. And, is and the tough. thing is, like, uh, like, in our language, we call it Odishka, and most of our people today don't even remember what uh, the what we call this Odishka, and, uh, and... Well, and explain how that becomes Tuscarora, yeah, in a way. because, you know... Like going back to, I mentioned the Tulo. Before the Gaduaga came to the north, and uh, uh, they lived in the Carolinas, the Virginias, and so on. When the Dutch came over, it was uh, over 100 years before. And when we extended the Tulo to them, their pledge and the symbol of their pledge was the hemp rope. Okay? And so the thing is that which clearly t tells us that our people were always dealing with this, um, you know. And I mean, when next door to my home in Ganoa, where I grew up, and that my neighbor, his name was Anahariya, he used to he used to make the medicines with this, 
and you know, he put it in little vials and so on. And people came from all over the world to buy this stuff. And, and that's the way medical marijuana is yeah. being be, being utilized um, in in the state sanctioned facilities right yeah. now. The way, same way and, that he was doing it. We were already doing it. That he was doing that in the 30s. And the RCMP came in and they cut everything down. All the plants they could find, they cut them down. And it grew wild, you know. And then in the 60s, they came back again and cut everything down and made big bonfires and burnt it because they didn't want us to use this as part of our economy. And, uh, and so in 1712, around that time, uh, the Gadawa Aga, um, they broke into three groups. One group um, went to the colonists, see, because one-third of the population had been cannibalized. The white man was eating our people. And so... They went to the colonists and they said, listen, we accept your Jesus. Well, it made it hard for the colonists now because Christians can't eat Christians. And, uh, and so what they did was they didn't treat them any better. They just stopped eating them and they stuck them along a river called the Lumber River. Now Lumber, today yeah, yeah. they call them Lumbies. And, uh, but there was another group that said, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to do that. So they went into the, uh, into the swamps. And that into like, like um, the marshes. Yeah, like uh, it's kind of like uh, the bayous or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, and the white man was afraid to go in after them because he knew if he went in there, he wasn't coming back out. And then uh, about 200 or so of them, they left and they came north. And they were taken in and sponsored by the Oneidas to, um, you know, to be protected. And that, and so... Um, so, what do you call it? Once you leave your land, you, you leave the land of the Cyprus, you can no longer say we're people of the land of Cyprus. It's just like Anadagas leave Anadaga, they can't call themselves Anadagas anymore, people of the hills. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ganyaka we can't call ourselves Ganyaka we leave the land of Flynn. Mm -hmm. So, by them leaving the land, and, uh, and our people notice that, to, for them to help themselves, they became a lot more industrious in hemp gathering and splitting the hemp and so on, and making cloth and medicine and ropes and all kinds of products from this. We call them the Hatishkaroras. The Hatishkaroras means Tudor, they split the Odishka, which is what people call the, the hemp. They, they, and, that, and so that's what we call them, the hemp splitters. And so later on, um, the um, white, uh, white people, influence, changed that name to Tuscarora, which is really the Hadishkaroras. And, but, you know, and they settled at a place called Indian Town near Colgate, New York, along with uh, a lot of um, uh, Chinnacocks and Uncachocks. And, and they, uh, called it, they actually started calling themselves Brotherton Indians yeah. for a while there, and too. So there were many different Oklahoma people that were there being protected, being sheltered by the Confederacy. And, uh, and so this is, you know, so when the United started to be dispossessed of their lands, the Senecas pulled in the Hadishkaroras and let, have them settle at, near Niagara Falls. So that's why they're, they're there today, you know, and today they call themselves Tuscarora. See, and so like, I mean, I talked to like people up in Oswego, I said, you are not Ganyakahaga, you're not Undagahaga, you're none of those things anymore. 
I said, when I was a boy, all I ever heard you being referred to was Oshweka Aga. And uh, you still got the same clans, you still got the same language, the same culture, same everything. The only thing is that you cannot call yourself people of the land of Flint. You're not in the land of Flint. This is your birthplace now. No, yeah. this is where you are, where Oswego. Oswego is where that river forks, that Grand River forks. And by the fork, it creates this undercurrent called Oswego. And, that, and it, it could pull your boat underwater. Under tow, as they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in tow. So that's why our people call them Oswego Aga. And, that, and uh, you know, and, and they kind of get upset when you tell them, you know. But the thing is, this is who we are. This is the way we refer to one another. Because a long time ago when uh, you've traveled, you went to uh, a place where other people live, they would ask you, not like anything and uh, other than, what is the land like where you come from? And uh, and you say, I'm, I'm from Ganyaga. Oh, now we know you're Ganyaga. And then they would say, and what do they call you? They didn't say, what's your name? Because what they called you is not yours. It's, that belongs to your family. So what do they call you? You know, you see, and then you would you would say this is this is what they refer to me as. Mm -hmm. You know, like I say, Okay, then they know who you are, and uh, then they'll ask you what family you come from. What is the fire you come from? I would say, and uh, what people know as Wolf Clan. I'm not Oguaho. Okay, Oguaho is an animal. Wagatahyuni is the family. Okay, so I'm not Gario, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things that our people don't know today. And that uh, because they're not speaking our language the way it was intended. Today, a lot of our people speak and say the words and so on, but they speak our language based on Christianity. And that, that's why there's a difference between Wonagayu, the old original language, and the language that is, it's like our, our people almost made our language fit the Christian teachings and Christian beliefs and that. So there's two ways. Well, it's, and it's about how it's translated yes, sometimes right. and, or, and not just translated from you know, the original language yeah. to English, but actually from English to the, you know, yeah. that's why we end up with, with uh, with you joke about it sometimes, words that if you try to write it, write it down, they'd be about this long on a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, the, because it's not really a word; it's a description. Right, and so you're using all of these words that come from the English language that you've translated. So yeah. I remember you you talk about the the stove black, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's talking about and stove black is the is this, it's kind of like a paint, right? That you 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 paint on a on a stove to keep it black because otherwise it gets rusty and that kind of stuff. But you you describe a word that's about thirty syllables long. It's so long that I hate to repeat it. <laughs> but it, but it really just yeah. talks about yeah. the stuff that you wipe on a stove or on the pipes to make it black. Yeah, but yeah. but by the time you take that, you English, make it black and you polish it yeah. at the same time. You know? So it, it so I mean it, so there's certain words that when when you somebody well how would you say this in Mohawk and or whatever and you realize. 
Well, then English is easier. No, but it's because you asked me to, to describe an English concept in a, in a language that doesn't necessarily, you know, fit. So, yeah, yeah but so that's what gets lost. But yeah. no, and, and this is the kind of conversation I realize that we've, we've jumped off from Tuscarora to understand yeah. with the relationship with, with hemp and that kind of stuff. But the but, thing is, we need to understand, and that is that just about everything we're doing, even like when we started out talking about, you know, uh, what people, uh, you know, those who consider themselves the leaders and that. And the thing is that, again, that's a concept that's not ours. And that because they're, they're, all those outside influences have created this new monster within our own societies. And, that, and because we as a people have been kept from it through their schools and through their religions and so on, that we almost don't even know who we are anymore. You know, there are a few things we we remember that we were told, okay? But the main thing to help to keep this uh, this strength and spirit alive is our language. And, that, and how that language is so connected to the land, how it's so connected to creation. And, that, and that's what helped us to be the people we are, okay? And that... And we got to get back to that. Well, and, 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 you know, a perfect example of this, what you're talking about, is the fact that we use words like chiefs. Yeah. Or chief. Yeah. That's not even our word. That's, that's I think it's a Gaelic word or something like that. It comes from Scotland or something. I don't even know where the hell it comes from, but it's not our word. But today, if you, in, in, in the United States and Canada, if you use the word chief, you automatically, you know, think of a native person, a, a, a native leader. But that's not our word. In fact, you know, you always correct me because I always got the second to last syllable. Uh, when we say Rodionesu, right? yeah. I'm getting that Rod one right. Rodionesu. Which, I mean, that doesn't mean chief. It doesn't no. mean leader. I mean, exp explain the, the definition. Okay. Oyana. Oyana is like a footprint. On okay. what? On the ground. On the land. Exactly. Yeah. You talk about it's that. On the land, that footprint. And the thing is, uh, that's the footprint of the ones before that had a responsibility, and that's, that's, that's what you have to follow, is what they did before, because it was so well organized, so well, uh, uh, it worked so well for the people, and that, because the thing is that, it's like, it's going in the direction, Oyera, and people say, Oyera, but it's, uh, they always say, oh, it means uh, natural, but no, Oyera is a direction. And, uh, and we always travel in that direction uh, uh, that follows creation, okay? Because creation is always on the same path. And, uh, and this is why life is able to go on because there's consistent. And so when someone is appointed to the, a position, he has to be inconsistent with all the ones before him. So he has to follow in those exact same footprints and that, uh, See, it's not for him to create a new path. It's for him to follow. And it's the same thing with Yagoyane. She has to follow that. But not just them. All of us. All of us have that responsibility. All of us have to go that direction and that because we, it's never given to uh, others to make your direction. The thing is that you've pointed them in that direction. And that's the direction they follow. That's what they go by. And that, but that directive comes from the families. It comes from the people. 
Well, and it comes from generation after That's generation. Right. And those and those footprints that they're that they're following follow the contours of the land yeah. and they follow the contours of creation. Mm -hmm. So it's all it all gets back to this natural thing that you're yeah, talking about see, too. That's why when 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 they gather for to council, Rudianesu gather for a council, and uh, they're going there representing a family, and uh, and then we say they will raise the voice, the words of the family. He doesn't raise his opinion. He has to always carry the words of his family. If he starts uh, going off on his own, then that's what that grandmother is there for, to correct them, that's to that, remind them. All those warnings, right. Yeah, and she'll warn him in that. And if he continues to be... Uh, you know, um, disrespectful and tries to go by his own way, they'll remove him and they'll replace him. And, and again, this is about when somebody gets, you know, corrupted by That's their right. sense of power and, yes. and they start trying to assert authority over people yeah. rather than getting the authority from the people. And so that's when we talked, you know, that's why I, I, I you know, I, the topic I said, you know, we're talking about leadership or we're talking about servitude. That's right. And you're placed in this position because you've demonstrated supposedly all your life that you have that competency and you have that ability to to follow that path that you've already been following. Now you're being placed on the path to um, to help raise those voices of, of your family and carry those voices. Yeah, and so so when now today we're getting this whole business that uh, I don't, it doesn't matter whether you're a tribal council, band council, or, or a chief longhouse council. Yeah. And uh, they all seem to believe that they're the leaders, that they're the authorities. And the thing is that I see councils gathering all the time, but I've never seen them with their families. Yeah. I've never uh, seen where the women could sit down and discuss these matters, then call upon the men, and the men discuss the matters with the women. Then when they come to a like mind, and as long as it's in accordance with our Gayanrikova, then that Ruyana is directed. And, to, and of course, all of this, this altering of, of this natural system you know, comes with Europeans. It, it's, it's tied to the church. It's, it's tied to male-dominant societies that came from, from Europe um, and, and other places. But it, th this is how our people got influenced early on, even before we lost the language. And I, you know, and I, and I don't... I'm not being argumentative to you when you say, you know, the, the value of the language. But at some point, our own people who were speaking the language devalued what was in that language because they were seeing those shiny objects that the, that the white men were, were offering to them, and whether it was wealth or whether it was power. It's because they adopted a foreign philosophy. They ad adopted a foreign belief, a belief that wasn't based on reality, but was uh, based upon the the, um, the construction of men and it, it, it was only existent in your mind and you didn't and that and that belief did not require any proof whereas creation proves everything but here it's something and we call that it's um it's um uh, it's a man-made reality uh, reality and so it uh, it only exists in your mind you're told there's such a place as a heaven. You're told about hell. You're told about angels. You're told about a whole lot of things. <laughs> and the thing is that you're not supposed to question. 
Only have faith that what they're telling you is true, is real. And that, but we never see it. They talk about this God and that, but where the hell is this God with everything that's going on? What the hell kind of father is that, that he allows all this suffering and everything? You know, bloodshed, war, all of it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what kind of God is that? Well, yeah. and of course, our people will, will use the word creator in its place. And, and, but that's, and I, that's a new concept. Yeah. No, he who created us. You know, we have a word in our, in our people. We say, We connect it to our mother. She's the one that gave us life. She's not the creator of all things, but she's the creator of us. And that she gives us our first medicine. She gives us our first food. She gives us our first drink. She gives us everything first. Well, and even the creation story ends up being a metaphor for what each one of us goes through yeah. in terms of birth. Because, but, again, it's a story. But there's ways that, that that gets manipulated into good versus evil, which is not which is a man-made construct the, by itself, right? Yeah, and the thing is, those stories are important, but they should be told in the original way. Not the influenced way to say the Ganawid and Sawishka, the, they were uh, uh, good and bad. No. Even when you hear the story, that was Toru Yawago. He made our bodies according to the story. Okay? But it was Sawishka who put the breath in us, gave us the life. What the, the story in our teachings was how these two complemented and one balance, another and, and, and helped the balance. And uh, but no, they came with their story of Cain and Abel, and uh, they applied that to you know the characters in our stories. But again, their stories, because none of us, none of us, even the original people, cannot tell you how creation came. They couldn't even tell us, even if they seen it. We weren't we weren't created with, we, with language. We <laughs> had no language. We had no songs. We had no ceremonies. They came from us. <laughs> no, we we created these things. That's why our language we call it ungwe hunwe neha. It's the sounds, the words that came from the people before us. Ungwe, ungwe hunwe neha. Today people say ganyot geha. That's not right, ganyot geha. If you're saying something is ganyot geha. That's something that comes from the land of Flint. That's Ganyot Geha. Uh, but our language came from our ancestors. Because our ancestors didn't just live in the land of Flint. We lived all over Turtle Island. And uh, so, I mean, there's so many things that need to be corrected today. And, uh, and this is why I encourage people, learn the language. But learn Owunagayu, the old language. A lot of people, I talk to people in Seneca country, and they say, I ask, how many people still truly speak Seneca? And they say, well, maybe there's 10, maybe a little more, a little less. They're not even sure, but they know there's a few old people that can still speak the language, or that the, the Seneca, but that's a dialect. And that dialect originally came from Owunagayu. And Owunagayu is complete. The only thing is that, the people known as Ganyokehaga or Bohawks, we still speak a lot of the Owunagayu. And, uh, but it's not the Mohawk language. It's the Ungwehungwehneha. It's the Ungwehungweh language. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, but 
I don't know what's wrong. Uh, and I encourage people. I say, look, learn it. I ran into a young man up in, uh, in, up in Niagara Falls, Tuscarora. This woman told me he had tried to learn this language, Tuscarora. And, uh, but she says he speaks pretty good. But she couldn't speak herself, so she invited him to come over. So she says, he's a very impatient person. He'll probably only stay 10 minutes and he'll want to go. So he and I sat down, and we spoke in a wonagayu. And he told me he spent many years trying to learn the Tuscarora dialect. He couldn't learn it. And he heard that in Buffalo there was a program teaching what they call Mohawk. And so he attended that. And he picked up on it right away. And he was amazed after that, with knowing the complete language, it was easier for him to learn the dialect. Mm -hmm. Now he can speak both. Well, and I think there are language programs even here in Seneca Territory yeah. that are going back to understanding the, uh, again, the original language and the, the root word um, connection to it. Because yeah. that's one of the things that every time you, you explain a word, you break it down into its in it, into its parts before you put, reassemble it. And, and so you're not just trying to remember a multi-syllable word no. that means something. If you understand some of the basic roots, and, and, I, and I say, look, and I appreciate everybody who does the best they can yeah. with what they're picking up. And, and, and I know that you're not criticizing the people who are attempting, but you know, the, the best solution in terms of understanding word etymology and what the, and what the real vision is of those words is getting back to that original yeah. language. And which is, and again, while we still had many people speaking the language, we were already seeing the influences that were, that was, you know, it wasn't just changing our behavior, it was changing the way we were interpreting our language. And that's why with the male dominant cultures, I mean, look, we have all of this conversation about, well, uh, we still operate under the chief system. Well, in our culture, we had no chief system. <laughs> and yet, yet we hear people say that all the time. And we hear it said, you know, across Turtle Island. And I can't say what other nations, you know, how, whether they are, had a male dominant culture or not, but I know from everybody I've talked to, they always talked about the, the equity that women and men had in their communities. Whether I talk about Navajo or Hopi or whether you talk about the Northwest or any, and Anishinaabe. And so I find it hard to believe that anybody really had this sense of male dominance uh, until until Christianity and European influences. Yeah, and in the Indian Act. In Indian Act, yeah. Federal <laughs> Indian law. Okay, uh, you know, I do a lot of traveling, and I meet a lot of people who are of the old ways, and they speak the language and so on, and I'll ask them. It's too bad we have to use English between each other, but I'll ask them about what do they call themselves, or I'll ask them a question or something, and then they'll tell me what, what they would say. And I said, no, you tell me, what are you really saying? And, uh, and you know, like, we call ourselves Ungwahungwa. And as I travel, I ask Anishinaabe people, what do you call yourselves? And then they, you know, they'll say, well, no, I said, that's what we're told. But what do you, what did your mother tell you? What did your grandmother tell you? <clears throat> then they tell me. And all of a sudden, they start to realize they still know, they still say the words, but they forgot how to know the words. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I, this is how I start pushing them. All of a sudden, they start 
start thinking in the language again. See, you got to think in that language. You can't just speak that language. You got to think in that language. And, that, and so this is how we have to get back to who we are because that language, that language is, is what keeps us as who we are. The thing is that oral, we have oral history. Okay, we have oral history. And the thing is that the, the descriptions does not ever change. The meanings have changed, but not the descriptions. And so if we go back to what our language is describing all the way to, it'll bring us back to know about yesterday, it'll get us to know about today, and it will take us back to tomorrow. And that, that our language has everything, but we have to use it. That's why the old people are always so concerned. Even though a lot of them slacked and didn't teach their children, they were always still concerned. And, uh, and so today, when I meet young people who are trying to use our language and that, I encourage them. And that, but I also tell them, you have to know the language. There's, there's what we say, uh, he, he talks the language, okay? But that means that he's it's that he's of that language. It's and that that um, he doesn't just he doesn't just vocalize it. He is it. Yeah. You see, sometimes it's hard to explain. But the thing is, if we take the time, we can explain. We can explain. We can get people to understand. And that uh, and. Oral history is more accurate than written, okay? Because our language doesn't change. Oh, the, the, the things that we use and talk about in our language doesn't change. And that, but when somebody writes it, every time somebody reads it, he interprets, it's his own interpretation. And, and if you don't believe that the written language, um, in, in the written English language um, is, uh, is not accurate. There, there's an entire body of contract law that that is dedicated towards trying to reinterpret something that somebody wrote as, as a contract I mean, or any kind of agreement. So we know that everything from the U.S. Constitution to you know to to even any basic agreements that that white people enter enter into, there are very shady people who know how to make use words in a way that uh, they can be reinterpreted it different ways at their convenience. And so they're, some of it's intentionally uh, uh, inaccurate. And, you know, so th we, we know that that's, that's just a matter of fact. But, and, and the influence that happens to us as a people is it starts to alter our identity. So now we don't know what is real. We don't yeah. understand what uh, those people that we place in those positions, um, you know, these titles, if you will, what their, what their authority is. And, and they, because they get so padded up by the, the, the state or the federal or the, uh, the provincial governments, they end up having their authority bolstered, not by the, the people they're supposed to represent, but by the people they really represent, which is Canada and the United States. Yeah. And that's how we get into these, these battles over, you, know, you talked about this family trying to do cannabis, and now you've got the tribal council that is being yeah, the, the Bank long Council, the, the, the yeah, Bank Bank Council, being being the long arm of the Canadian law, yeah. trying to trying to persecute and prosecute their own people in a way that would have never been tolerated 
within within our within our culture. See, the thing is, they want to sentence this uh, uh, this man and this young, uh, the older guy and younger guy. They want to sentence them to, and they were told they could get up to fifteen years for selling cannabis. You know, and, and of course, this is on the Canadian side. In the on the U.S. side, the it is really really hard to to make an argument about imprisoning somebody for a decade or more over cannabis today. I mean, obviously, there have been generations of people, especially people of color, who have been imprisoned, you know, for, for, the, for all this stuff. But on the Canadian side, because there's still this, this drive to control Native communities and to use these band councils to do it, that's how we end up with, the, with this level of but corruption. But the thing is, they're using longhouse councils as well. Yeah, longhouse long councils. Yeah. councils if if the longhouse would have stepped up to the plate and said, "Hey, listen, you the bank house, you got no business telling the people what they can do, and uh, you don't you don't represent you represent Indian Act, you represent Canadian government." But the longhouse is not saying nothing. Instead, the longhouse puts out a statement and says, "Oh, we can't uh, we can't condone the mind changer. We can't condone the bad the bad tobacco," you know. As they're sitting at the marina drinking up yeah, on. Yeah, and the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, that's not what we call it. That's what it's called today because of temperance rules. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, the thing is that, you know, the, you know, different religions, and that have these temperance rules, and that's what influenced our our so-called longhouse people today, and that, uh, and so by them saying they don't condone. The activity of selling cannabis and that like it's a sin. It's not our way. They say. Well, and and to be clear, I mean some of the 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 laws that came out against um, against cannabis uh, and hemp was actually driven by chemical companies That's who right. were promoting nylon rope, which is an, in many ways was an inferior rope to the hemp rope. Yeah. And so you had you so you had industry. And you had religion because they they are also calling it the devil's yeah you the know, pharmaceuticals uh, yeah, and pharmaceutical that, industries yeah. the chemical industries these are all of the the, the folks that push these temperance laws that you're talking about so yeah it's I mean it's really I mean it, it's really ugly when you get into the weeds on this stuff yeah and, the, and you know the thing <laughs> is that we have to stop mimicking them just because they're around us doesn't mean we have to be like them you know and you know everything that they do today. Oh, our people are falling head over heels over some of this nonsense, like apologies. Apologies to our, our, our people. And, uh, and the thing is, in our culture, all across the Western Hemisphere, no Ngwehunwe has in their ways such as an apology. When you do something, you made a mistake, you did something wrong, you fix it. You make it right. That's what you do. If I throw a rock through your window and I say, I'm sorry, you still got a hole in your window. The rain's still going to go in there, the snow, the cold, or whatever. And uh, you still got a hole in the window if I said, I'm sorry. And uh, no, I fix your window. I fix it. I compensate you. Try to bring your mind back in a good way. That's what our people, that's the way our people are. But now uh, we, we've seen the influences that, that try to create, you know, a criminality for for. for Certain actions that have no business being judged as uh, as criminal as a crime or as evil, and this is you know this is what we're we're facing. You know, and look, we see this this abuse and this influence, and and while I can criticize these tribal councils and these band councils, we know how much their strings are being pulled, 
And, and I'll, I'll bring it back here to Seneca territory. The Senecas got screwed out of $2.2 billion worth of their gaming revenue by the state of New York. In, in one of the final legs of this thing, the governor of the state of New York, Kathy Hochul, literally extorted half a billion dollars out of them, then turned around and gave it to the billionaire owner of the Buffalo Bills to build a stadium. I mean, it, it can't get any uglier than this. I mean, she has literally put herself in a, in a position to be, from a Native standpoint, to be, be judged as the worst governor um, in modern history. And, and so the fact that she's a woman didn't, uh, you know, didn't give her any more balance uh, in this situation because she's being controlled by men, including her husband, who works for one of the companies that is the biggest uh, competitor to the Seneca Nation in terms of gaming. I mean, it's, it's ugly on every different level. But today, the Seneca Nation is still negotiating a compact that in all likelihood, and I can't say for sure, I'm not involved in the negotiations, but in all likelihood, is going to have some level of revenue sharing, in spite of the fact that the state has nothing to offer that, that could enhance their business. And, and to be honest, I mean, the only way revenue sharing is supposed to be legal is if the state makes a concession that's good for the Seneca Nation's business or, or whatever nation. And we know that's not the case. The Senecas, when you look at that $2.2 billion, the Senecas themselves only made about $2.4 billion over that 20-year period. I mean, it's, it's absurd how, that the state made as much money off of Seneca gaming as the Seneca people did. And yet that's, that's the influence of not just the system in terms of the federal law but, and, the, and the state uh, authority that, that has been placed into that federal law, but we also have this reliance because we don't look at our own people as the, as, the, as the voice we're trying to carry. Who are the voices that influence these leadership? See, it's, that, it's lawyers. See, and and it's on the Canadian side see, as well. Our people have to start controlling, their, controlling our lives. Yeah. And uh, today in Canada, 70% of the prison population, even though will only make up 5% of the population of Canada, we are 70% the population of the prisons. And the majority are women. Yeah, I think that's an important now, point to make see, out. So this is this is why I'm I'm, I'm so angry about these things, and it's because not, our people are complicit in sending our yes, people to prison. Yes, and we got to stop that. You know, the thing is, our people are being sent to a prison, and that uh, for not even a crime. In our society, there are certain things. It is not a crime. It's a part of our lives, and that. Uh, but the white man, he makes it that it's a crime because prisons are a business. It's about the uh, prison system. In the United States, most of the prisoners are black or, uh, or what they call uh, Latinos or natives and that, or just the poor white people. Well, and beyond the prisons being a business, crime is a campaign slogan. I mean, crime is what, you know, is what both parties will run on being tough on crime. So it ends up being this obscure thing that is not ever really well defined. I mean, even though they'll sometimes say violent crime versus nonviolent crime. Look, crime is is one of these these euphemisms for you know for that these both parties in the U.S. side and both the conservative and the liberals on the Canadian side utilize to control the population. Yeah, you know it's you know I can't see how a so-called unguahongwe would push something that would destroy a family, put the providers of the family in prison, and that because this violated white man's law. Yeah. Because it violated white man's law, he's gonna put his own people in prison 
and the stupidity and the arrogance of those people who are playing along and oppressing their own people. That's a crime. I mean, look, if, if there if there is a problem that comes out of somebody's activity, then you address the problem, but you don't necessarily criminalize it. And, and I think that's what we've seen. I mean, I, I think about things, you know, historically. I mean, I look, I go to places like, we're going to go to New York and we're going to see homeless people all over. Can you imagine any part of our culture that would have had a homeless person or a person who doesn't get fed? We, we can now that we're civilized, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Now we can see that we have communities where there aren't enough homes and that, and that, that, that people can be homeless. And where do they go? They end up living in, in these cities. Because in our culture, we would have never had a homeless person. We would have ne that would have never happened in, in, our, in our history until, we, uh, until all of this influence. So, you know, you got to ask, who's, who are these civilized people? The ones who would lock somebody behind a, in a cage? The one who will, who will persecute a person who has, has lost the ability to even maintain a residence? I mean, this is the world that, you know, that we live in. And we have to decide what, where we're going to stand on some of these issues. You know, our people have to stop being afraid. Yeah. They're afraid. Today, they're all afraid, oh, I might go to jail. I might lose my job. Okay? The thing is, you, <laughs> you only, what about your children? What about your grandchildren? They're going to inherit your, that you were such a coward. You know, and they're going to have to suffer. They're, they're probably going to be the ones who stand up for what you didn't do. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, um, I know I've talked about, I will continue to talk about this on my radio show, but we're heading to New York um, in, in May to do the book launch of, of this, uh, this book, which is really based on much of the work of, of Louis Hall, and, uh, and, and it's called the, the Warrior, Mohawk Warrior Society. Um, and one of the things that I, in, in the, the small, my small contribution to this book, you know, I talked about the fact that, that we've seen our people go off and get educated. And that has been the truly mind-altering thing that's happened to our people. But, but I also see that this, the work that, that, you know, frankly, I like to claim a, being a part of, and, and I, you and, and Louis Hall and so many others, you know, we, we get to a place where the children are going to ask us, what did we do? That's right. What did we do? And, and I can at least feel good about some of the things that we were able to fight for and accomplish. Did we accomplish everything? No. And frankly, we got old real fast. We thought we had more time. You know, honestly, we always thought, think we have more time to, to correct the path and to get things uh, better situated. But you know what? I'm not ashamed of the work that we did. I'm, I'm ashamed of the people that, that our own people that we had to fight every step along the way. And I'm, and I'm ashamed of the people that we still see that are kowtowing to the state government, to the federal government, to provincial government, to, to white man's law, and the colonial system that, uh, that influences them. And I don't know how those people, I mean, I, I once saw a cartoon you know, where, this, uh, where, where this old woman, native woman, is talking about fighting the man, fighting the man, fighting the man, and her, her grandson says, but I thought you worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Yeah. <laughs> says, oh, details, details, details. I mean, I mean this, is, this is the thing. I mean, just because you got elected onto a tribal council or a band council doesn't necessarily mean that you served your people. It means that you won a popularity contest amongst a small portion of that population that will even participate in that system because it's not ours. The vast majority of, of, of Native people won't vote, vote in any of these elections. I've seen some of these elections where, where you know, less than 1,000 people 
are voting total in any of these elections. Less than a thousand people. And these are communities that have 15,000 people living in them. Or more. Or more. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, in one, you know, co one community, they got almost 30,000 people. 250 people voted. Oh, that, and the woman became the chief. And she, that she now represents everybody. When I, saw, when I saw those numbers, when she got elected, uh, it, oh was, it was uh, amazing to me. Yeah. But it's, it's indicative of how, uh, you know, how that system, not only does, do those people who get elected not serve us, but that system doesn't serve us. No. That system ends up being the most corrupted and in, oftentimes in bed with, you know, with developers off territory and, bankiers and uh, bankers and financiers and all kinds of other stuff. This is, what we're, this is the challenge that we have. So... You know, look, we talk about language. We talk about identity. And, and I know the word decolonization is out there. And, and, I, and I try to define that all the time. I try to say, look, what we need to do is unravel ourselves from those systems. Because whether, we, whether we're benefiting individually from some of those systems because it's made us wealthy or popular or famous, there's still systems of oppression that we're using. And until we strip some of that stuff yeah. away. And the thing is, this whole business, Oh, we need to heal. We need to heal. And I tell my people, I say, we're not sick. We're oppressed. And so we should work to, re to empower ourselves. How do you heal oppression if you don't stop the oppression? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like... Empowerment. That's what we have to do. Empower our people. Empower ourselves, even as individuals. If you've got an open wound, the first thing you need to do is close it. Yeah. You've got to fix. You know, you've got to do, take the action... I mean, healing will happen when we fix the problem. Yeah. But if you think you can just sit back with these open, festering wounds, this historical and intergenerational trauma, and just sit there and, and what, burn tobacco and heal? No. We have to be able to recover and restore some of what was, was taken, We don't lost, keep reliving or, it. Reliving yeah. it. That's what people do. Relive it. Yeah. Over and over, they, go, they dwell on the misery. And I don't want to spend crying sessions. No. Or healing circles, you know, or, or any of that stuff. I, I want to see, I want to see our people. And, and this, is, this is the thing that, you know, uh, when we talk about Louis Hall and the fact that he and, and others encouraged you guys to fulfill your responsibility. That's right. and, and, you know, I know there's probably not enough of us doing it, but we need to encourage young people. I hear people, uh, I hear my generation always criticizing, oh, young people, they're lazy. They're this, they're that. They play video games. They do this. You know what? If that's what their skill set is, then maybe there's a way we use some of that talent. Yeah. And we use how much, how, how much more tech, technically savvy they are than we are. I mean, Craig, we can barely operate our phones for crying out loud. And, you know, the fact that we can pull this off is sometimes a bit of, a, of an a, a amazement to me. But, but this, is, this is the thing. We have young people who have skill sets that, frankly, we'll never conquer. I mean... And, and we hope that, that it'll turn into them learning language and identity and that kind of stuff. But if we don't encourage them to do, to, 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 and empower them to do the things and, and hopefully take things farther than we were able to take them. I'm proud of the work that I did in my lifetime so far. I'm not done. But I will say that I, I believe that the next generation and the generations following, you know, have an opportunity to do far more than we did. But, you know, I would encourage the young people don't rely on the artificial intelligence. Yeah, I'm not you, saying you yeah. use the real intelligence, the one creation gave you. Yeah, a white person set up that algorithm for artificial intelligence, just so you know. So, um, yeah, just be, be cautious. Just remember, the, the best thing we can do 
is bring our minds together and pick each other's minds. Pick, you know, learn from each other. You know, and, and I don't mean just, you know, the people that you, that, that you hold dearest to. I mean, look, you may have more uh, confidence in the people that you're closest to, but you know what? They may not have the best information for you. Right. You may find it, you might find it in, a, in another native territory, uh, you know, on the, on the other coast or on the islands in Hawaii or something. You may find these bits of pieces of information from people who are still connected closer to the earth than, than perhaps we are. The thing is, you know, I'm going all over. We either like to burn tobacco or sweet grass or sage or, you know, we smudge. We do all kinds of things in that. You know, the thing is, I totally believe in these things. But I don't believe the way we're misusing these things. You know, like I said so many times, I've all my life I've seen tractor trailer loads of Ayongwa being burnt. And I look around me and I see everything's getting worse instead of better. You know, because we're all relying on these things to do it for us. We're not prepared. We're not readying ourselves to take the responsibility and get the job done. You know, we have to do it. If, you know, never mind calling yourself a warrior or any of that stuff. Be a man. Just be a man. Be a woman. Be what creation made you. and that. And you take responsibility. You know, and, and look. You know, we got ceremonies. Everybody says, oh, we performed our ceremony. But that's where our problem is. We're performing. We're performing all these things. Not understanding the things, But we're not understanding them. We're not living them. You know, I always talk about the creation. And that because they're our role model. They're like, they're a family. And they all work in harmony with one another. That's why life goes on. Our families will become extinct if we do not work in harmony with each other. And, uh, and when we have Gayadawano, people call the Peach Stone game. That is not just a game. That's a reminder to us. If we wish to win, accomplish something, we have to put our effort into it. We don't just pray to win. We work to win. Well, and, and you know, we I started we started this discussion about the word leader and leadership, and and I want to you know I, I want to be cautious here because there's no question that there are leaders within our community, but they aren't the ones that 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 have authority. They are people who show a capacity to to lead people, and 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 look, not it, lead them blindly. Look, it goes back to all the time I take our ceremonies. When a baby comes to us, male or female, we raise their name. Today, everybody says, oh, your grandmother has to give you. No, your grandmother, your mother, your, your women relatives, they'll give you a name. And then they bring you before the people. And then you're, you're raised and your name is raised so that everyone will get to know you. Everybody will know your name. And they always say, look. This child has a special gift, a natural ability. We don't know what it is right now because the child is too small. It hasn't demonstrated it. But as the child grows, that child will show what they're naturally good at. They say they might be a medicine person. They might be a singer. They might be a ceremonial keeper. They might be one who could 
asked to represent us. <clears throat> and so that's what we have to look for. Who is naturally good at these things? Somebody who's very articulate or she's very articulate. We can give them that responsibility on our behalf. On our behalf, not their behalf. On our behalf. And, that, and they could raise our names. They will raise our words. And, that, and that's what they do. They're supposed to know how to take direction from their families, from the people. Because today everybody say, well, the title holders. There is no such thing as a title holder. Maybe if you were the Queen of England, you're a title holder. But not over here. And that... You have been appointed. You have been given a responsibility. And that's what you do. And your direction comes from your leaders who are your family, your people. Well, and, you know, look, somebody who has the ability to speak oftentimes has to be taught to develop the ability to listen. Yeah. The, a person who is a, ath, athletic and can play lacrosse or, or do run or whatever else, that might be a natural skill set they have, but they need to be coached. That's why and we have the word, and that's what's used at the, uh, at the raising of your name. When we recognize what your natural ability is, and today people think it means respect you. No, that's not what it means. You will enable them to be the best that they can be. Exactly. I mean, so you look for the skill set, and then you help them develop it. And we give each each bits of ourselves to to those. I mean, and look, that child may be a superior athlete to any of any of us who have come before him, but it doesn't mean he can't learn from us. That that skilled speaker or that or that great singer, because it isn't you know our. Our culture is alive. Yes, we have old songs, but we have songs that are re are created every single day. And some of the things that that, I, that I've heard some of the best singers do, you know, are, are songs I've never heard before. I mean, yes, there's there's certain songs that we that we know or they're somewhat traditional, <clears throat> but but then there's the you know the ability to to do any of these these skill sets that we value in our community. We they won't develop if we don't help help them develop them. So uh, this is, you know, gets down to that whole idea about all of us being in the service of each other. You know, so when we do put somebody in a position that's going to carry our voices or lift our voices up, and when we talk about that, that, they're, that they're, they're, we're placing their feet on the footprints that have been laid there by, by millions of people who came before them. We don't even know. It's a number we can't even fathom necessarily. But that's what we do. And we keep them on that path. That path has been laid out. But so they're, they're guided both by those, that path and by the people that, uh, you know, that, have given, that they have a responsibility to. Because I think this is, sometimes gets lost because we think once somebody has been placed in a position that, that they no longer have to hear anybody. You know, we have to, we have to get smart about things. And that... Uh... Otherwise, our children are going to go through more abuse than we have gone through. Each time it's going to get worse. Till the point of the time when our people are going to have no homes. They're going to have no land. You know, we're, going to, we're going to be refugees in our own home. 
and uh, and the thing is, this can't go on. And we cannot have people, just because the Canadian-American government say, oh, we recognize them. That doesn't mean it's good for us. It means it's good for them. Because recognition isn't recognizing that you're a Hungwe. It's recognizing that you have accepted all the laws, rules, and the regulations of that society. And that's literally the definition. The yep. definition is... You know, on the U.S. side, when they say a federally recognized tribe, they mean a, a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. And it's the same, the same thing on the Canadian side. So those that are, are recognized as the so-called leaders, it's because they're subordinate to the, to the white man. So, no, and I, I, I look, I, I know we have we pounded this pretty hard, but I think it's important to, to realize that, that regardless of these councils, tribal councils, band councils, you know, chiefs councils, we all have a responsibility to each other, and we all sit in the service of, of, of our community. And we should not allow anybody to take or claim false authority. And you know, I say the best way to prevent the abuse of authority is to not give it. Now, and the best way to end it is to take it back. There's no reason why 5% of a population should be 70% of the prison population. And it's most saddening is that it's mostly women that are imprisoned. And that we have to stop these people from criminalizing our people. If there's something that we as a people don't like, then let we as a people put a stop to the things that bring us harm. But don't let the outside determine what should happen in our homes. I mean, and, and I've talked about this because everybody's talking about how the Indian Child Welfare Act may be under attack because of uh, um, a case in Texas and that kind of stuff. And I have, to, I have to be honest with you, the Indian Child Welfare Act it was a shit law. It, it, was, it was terrible. It never acknowledged our right to determine the placement of our own children. It still relied on the state. It offered some federal guidelines on what the state, that the state should give a priority to Native people, but it didn't leave the decision with Native people on what to do with our own children. So, yeah, the, I understood that people say, well, but conditions improved under the Indian Child Welfare Act. Well, they may have, but it still wasn't the right solution. And, that's, and, and here we are with this whole idea that not only is this about adoption now, the challenges that are happening here is you've got cases, both a gaming case and a, and a child placement case, an adoption case, where there are courts that are, determining, or that are going to be left to determine whether we are merely a race of Americans or Canadians, or, or are we still a distinct people? And, and the fact is, if we're going to continue to go down the path and recognize their institutions for every solu a, a solution for every one of our problems, then, then we, are, we will be part of that inst institutionalization of our people, and which, which lands you know, so many of our people in prison or, or homeless or, or have their, their kids still taken from them. So these are the kinds of things, and that's why we talk about this stuff. I, you know, and yeah. I got I to gotta thank you uh, for, for coming and spending this time with me here. I know... We haven't had the, the luxury of travel as much in the last few years to, to do this kind of thing. Uh, and I'm hoping that you will make, once again, make this more of a frequent stop and we'll be able to have more. I mean, I don't know how many times that you, we've gotten together and we've said, man, we should have recorded this. You know, this is, you know, we're preaching to each other. We're, yeah. we're, you know, but <clears throat> we do have the opportunity to, to sit down in front of a camera, in front of a microphone 
and, and record some of these things that we can share with other people. And look, I understand some of the stuff it, it will make people uncomfortable, especially if you happen to be in tribal council or you happen to be a devoted Christian or whatever. Well, you some know of the thing is, I, 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 I criticize everybody. I mentioned you about longhouse councils. I've We're equal tribal, opportunity criticizers. I, the thing is, when you're doing something that's not right, it's not right. Yeah, regardless and, uh, of where you're from. And, you know, the thing is, I'm not being, I'm not a person that's going to say, well, I need to be politically correct. I'm not, I'm not here about politics. I'm here about trying to help our people to be able to help themselves and not rely on somebody who is, whose mission has always been to assimilate you and to terminate your, uh, your right to your lands. And I say this all the time. Assimilation is still genocide. Because yeah. if you're trying to create the conditions that we cease to exist as the people we once were, which is exactly what indoctrination and assimilation is, that's genocide by definition. So remember, let's we're not, not soften it. We're not Indians. <laughs> we're not Indians. We're not somebody's mistake. Yeah. You know, we're Ungwehongwe. We're not bands. We're not tribes of monkeys or nothing like that. We're not nations. Nations is not a people. We are a people. Nations are institutions. We're They're a institutions. Yeah. A nation is just a collective of individuals who share a common interest. And most of that is, is, has to do with governance. I mean, and that's words like citizen, and it all has to do with governance. Look, what defines us as a people is not, it, it isn't Guyana or Goa. No. I mean, that's, that's a system that we use, some of us more than others. But let me tell you something. The word Guyana Goa, is being misused, yeah. okay? Guyana de Goa is creation itself, all right? When the stories of the Ganawida and Ayahuasca, when they came, they didn't bring us Guyana de Goa. They reminded us of Guyana de Goa. But what they did was they instituted a form of council, a tree-sided council, to resolve any of our issues by peaceful means rather than by war. So I wanna, again, I want to thank you uh, for, for joining me. And, I, and again, I look forward to your know, next time you, you swing back through town. Um, and, and again, um, if you are in New York on the in the beginning of the month, uh, uh, Paul, uh, myself, and, and several others who have been involved in, in this book and, and, and so much more, uh, we'll be at the book launch for the Mohawk Warrior Society book um, at the Judson Church uh, down near Washington Square Park, uh, and that's going to be May 2nd, so I look forward to seeing some of you there. I want to thank, uh, thank you for listening. I want to thank uh, Paul Begardundegay for, for coming in and, uh, and having this conversation. It's one that I can't have by myself, and, and that's why I appreciate uh, your, your participation in this thing. So, again, Nyawe. Yo. Onigewai. Yeah, no.